By the way, they never report the crowd on January 6th. You know, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, you know, they do. You know, they destroyed all of the information, all of the evidence, everything deleted and destroyed all of it, all of it because of lots of things like Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people, soldiers, National Guard, whatever they want. They turned it down. They don't want to talk about that. Oh, so the New Hampshire primary is tomorrow. It's tomorrow, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Putting Fingers is out. Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. I sent something to you and Danny this morning. I had this vision last night where Ron DeSantis looks like a guy that gets into inappropriate tickle fights with other Mm -hmm. adult males. And I want to know if you agree with that or you disagree. I agree because I think that Ron DeSantis is like the worst retail politician I have ever seen. He looks so uncomfortable and constipated everywhere he goes that I think that to try and break his awkwardness, he would be that guy who would, in order to try and break the awkwardness, make it more awkward by starting a tickle fight and everybody gets very quiet oh that's true that's what he would do his brain would be like i should tickle someone this right this will work it uh this that's reminds- how i get people to like me <laughs> yeah no i mean look in some circles maybe that works i don't know I, he would be he would have a friend in this one guy maybe you'll remember this maybe you won't this is back when i was just getting into politics around 2010 there was a guy he was a freshman democrat named eric massa i know this is going off script but this is it matters Okay. Do you remember this guy? He no, resigned after I... like one uh, one uh, uh, term. No, I have no idea what you're talking about. So please enlighten me. Well, so he was under investigation for like sexual harassment, I think. And uh, yeah, so the Washington Post reported this Eric Massa guy. He was from New York somewhere, Democrat in the House, under investigation for allegations that he had groped multiple male staffers working in his office. So. In order to defend himself, he told Fox News host Glenn Beck, this is back when Glenn Beck had a show, he said, not only did I grope a staffer, I tickled him until he couldn't breathe. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember this at all. Wow. Um, Oh, my God. (laughs) The only thing I would add to that that would make the that would make more sense with Ron DeSantis is if it's not tickle fights, it's adult massages, like just like massaging. Oh, giving them. Yeah. I thought you meant like going to like a. Oh, no, I meant like I I feel like there are always those kids in school that do that. But like once you leave school. There's no excuse as an adult to to be massaging any other adult in public. I will just say for the record, I did some like weird things in school. I never did that. So, okay, so he's out. Chris yeah, Christie all, is out. Everybody's out. Yeah, except for Nikki Haley. Oh, Nikki and Haley. Donald Trump. Yes, the the uh normal one, quote unquote, according to some people. Yeah. Nikki Haley is is I think at this point um, the best option of all of the bads but I really don't want her to win the Republican primary because Joe Biden will beat Trump she will beat Joe Biden which is that's what the polling says so I think the polling is complete bullshit right now I don't think you can rely on it at all but 
<laughs> Go on. I'm fair. very worried. Yeah. Um. I don't. But like, who are you going to persuade in a Trump Biden election? It's baked in. Nobody. Everybody's going to hate everything about the next however <laughs> many months. I mean, I, that was a given anyway. But this is look, Nikki Haley. I think probably respects the institutions of government better than Donald yeah. Trump. I'll give her that. But other yeah. than that, I mean, I I don't know. She uh she. Never thought that America was racist, apparently, except for all the oh times where she cited personal anecdotes from her childhood where there were very racist things happening to her and her family. But other than that, you know, yeah, slavery, just a workforce development program, right? Totally. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, it, it's it's and it's her. And then Trump, who says that Nikki Haley was in charge of security on January 6th. That's so fucking funny. <laughs> God damn I, it. He, that he mixes God damn up. it. Nikki and Nancy, like, oh, Trump. Is that like a bit, though, that he's doing? I don't think so. Okay. It doesn't it... seem like a bit. It seems like he literally can't. Te- he, he said the other day at a rally that in 2016, he ran against Obama. I... <laughs> Which is not what happened. <laughs> I mean, look, like, that's... You can't ever tell if it's just like him doing a bit or if it's him being serious. I really, I really think all of these, all of the trials, all of the, him being in an echo chamber so long, like his, his ecosystem is all yes man Trump people. And that's, that's got to do something to your brain over time to where you just can't think critically anymore. Uh, probably. I mean, uh, definitely, 100%. Uh, so it's going to be Nikki Haley versus Trump. There are some yeah. people that believe she could win New Hampshire, which that's possible. But after that, she's fucked. Yeah, I don't think she's even going to win New Hampshire. Even if she does, doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. In fact, I'm looking at the polls now. She's tanking big time. Yep. Yeah. All right. That's well. crazy. It's so... I, I genuinely... There are times in life where I'm like, I truly cannot put myself in that person's shoes like i i so don't understand the brain of a person who thinks that another four years of trump is a good idea and that's so many people in our country right now how can we be this disconnected from each other i don't know know. it's it's truly baffling well i also don't know why any of these people ran for president i truly don't like unless they have a humiliation kink uh I because they were they got pres- wallop. They were presumably they were running against Trump, but they never campaigned on it because they pussyfooted around it like they all did in 2016. It's like, have yeah. you not learned anything about running in a Republican primary? At least Chris Christie kind of almost did that. He yeah, he sort of half-assed it though, to be honest. Yeah. I I just think all of them had the energy of like maybe somebody will notice me (laughs) and yeah maybe i can inch into the corner and like just be present and people will see that maybe i'm the better option but when you when you level that against a trump-like character who is so incredibly bombastic and and is known for his explosiveness doing that kind of like I'm I'm here, you know. But I, but you're doing great. But you know, I I have some ideas that just doesn't work with a Trump character. Yeah, 
Um, I don't get it. I truly don't. I, I think it. Well, so some of them. Let's be honest. Vivek Ramaswamy. He he was. That was a personal brand bid right there. Nobody it knew was. who the fuck he was before that. Now he'll probably maybe he's gunning for like a daytime thing on on Newsmax potentially. Which you know, good for him. Get get that bread. Don't. But you know, I see. <laughs> I see, like, the play for him, because he had yeah. nothing to lose, really. Uh, for for Ron DeSantis, this was probably the dumbest possible thing he could have done. Yeah, it was hard for him to run a worse campaign. I saw some of the numbers of, of how much he spent versus what he got, and oh my gosh, it was hard for him to have made worse decisions. When your super PAC is called Never Back Down, you should not run a losing campaign. Yeah. But... You know, that's how it works. So, like, I don't get that. Chris Christie, he literally has nothing else going for him. No hopes of achieving higher office. Why not throw it in? I guess. Uh, all the other ones, no earthly fucking idea what their plan was. Yeah. Honest to God. And this is, it's just been pathetic. It's been pathetic because none of them have really ran a campaign where, like, they actually wanted to win. Because if they wanted to win, you have to run against Trump. Yeah. You're you're literally on the ballot against him, so you might as well do it. But they're too much of pussies to do it because they yeah. they think that that's what's going to hurt them. But honestly, they don't they don't have any principles, and that's what people see more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that so many of them ran to stay relevant because they just like couldn't couldn't stand that their name wasn't in the conversation, and. Big the ego. kind of, like those are the kind of people that run in in those races that are surefire lo losers of a race. Yeah, I mean they made consultants a lot of money though. Oh, like, sure like there's always going to be somebody that's like a media buyer or a general consultant that's going to be like, yeah, let's do it. Go ahead, Dean Phillips, run, yeah. run against Joe Biden. Yeah, why not? Run on a no did, labels ticket, you dumbass. Did sure. You, did you see um, that Dean Phillips hosted an event where they were very loudly right before the event playing Taylor Swift and they were playing Antihero, which has a line in it that says, did you hear my covert narcissism? I disguise as altruism like some sort of congressman. And Oof. somebody in the crowd, a reporter tweeted this out. Somebody in the crowd was like, you know, I love Taylor, but this is a very odd choice for this venue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised anybody was even there to hear it. I know. <laughs> Look, I'm. But that's the energy that Dean Phillips has. <laughs> Which, again, like, this is going to be the worst presidential campaign. In my opinion, I am not happy about anything, to be honest. I am deeply unhappy about the Democratic nominee, the Republican nominee, even though they've not officially been, we know it's been Joe Biden, Trump for how, like, since 2020. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly. And I'm just really loathing everything yeah. about this electoral college. Yeah. It's been period. a long walk for a short drink of water, and it's only going to become an even more painful journey. Yeah, and that water is salt water from the, <laughs> the Dead Sea. Yeah. <laughs> no nourishment for your body. No, just takes just dehydrates you more. Speaking of dehydration, <sighs> oh, let's talk about Ohio State Representative cock blocking her son. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a good transition. <laughs> what more could you want from a mother, right? <laughs> I'm so sorry for that transition. I don't know this son. 
he might be a total douche. I don't know. I don't want to say that because I don't know him. I feel for him regardless <laughs> because yeah. no mother should ever put their son on blast like this. I'm just yeah, going to say was, it. This was violent. <laughs> this was violent. Look, I'm I'm always skeptical when people say words are violent, but fuck, this is pretty close. <laughs> Conspiracy theory lunacy yeah. in full force. Uh, Jennifer Gross, state representative. I knew nothing about this person before this, and I feel like this tells you everything. Uh, so there's an account <laughs> on Twitter named Dr. O, someone, I guess, Ben Marble, that says they have an MD. I don't know. I think they maybe bought it from the back of a porno magazine or something. Uh, they apparently say some pretty unhinged things all the time. So, and Representative Gross responded to it, and that's where this comes from. So the post said, and I quote, this is from Dr. O. I joke about this, but it's actually very true. You don't want to breed with a guy who took the fake vax poison because dramatically increases risk of miscarriage, birth defects, mental retardation. Sorry, direct quote. And that is why, all caps, it is only a matter of time before everyone realizes unvaxed genius sperm is the ultimate payload clown emoji. And then he tagged (laughs) Alex Jones in a website called Genius Sperm. Have you checked have you checked that out? Yeah, I did. It's all a grift. It's like it's his whole grift. Now, hmm. but there's a lot to unpack here. I'm not going to unpack all of it. I just think anytime you refer to impregnating somebody as breeding them, that's where I it's tune out. Worst. That's a red flag for me. Yeah, that's that is that is in an absolute non-starter. Nope. I don't fucking know, man. Like get the <laughs> fuck out of here. So of course, a an elected representative for the good people of Ohio decided to respond to this. Did they res- She had to. She had no choice. Absolutely. Did she respond pushing back on what is clearly conspiracy theories about what I presume is the COVID-19 vaccine even though this guy is anti-vax on everything? Mm. What do you think? Oh, I think <laughs> I think that this woman is about to reveal the depths <laughs> to which families can can be can be dredged. Yeah, um I'm I'm here I we're willing to put her son in touch with a lawyer who can work on mm-hmm. emancipation paperwork if need be. So, we will help you get out of this. <laughs> the worst news is that he's 20. That's uh, so true. Still- <laughs> he doesn't even need our help. He doesn't need our help. He just needs and he needs his mom to never speak about him ever again. Look, I'm not going to put it. I'm not even going to look up his name because I don't want to put it into the world there. Anyway, so she said uh, Representative Gross, aptly named for this, replied to this tweet with, quote, my oldest is 20 and he's awake. And for those of you listening, that's not uh, a literal term as far as not being asleep. It is a term that right-wingers say to being uh, woke to the woke mind virus and the vaccine. Anyway, my oldest is 20 and he's awake. No girls who are loose. No girls who are vaxxed. I don't... (laughs) We're going to have a pause here for anybody that's dry heaving right now. Take your time. Take your time. I... If my mother had ever said anything like this about me, I would have fucking died. I would have melted. I would have never 
ever I would have deleted every trace of myself from the internet, taken all of her money and it, which wasn't much and gone to like Montana or something. Yeah. Changed my name. I want to know the conversation where this mom thinks she learned the information that she's learning because there's no way in hell that her son was like Yes, mother, I'm home for Thanksgiving, and I'm not fucking any girls at college who are vaccinated. Like, he's never going to talk. Like, what? Or loose. Or loose. Don't forget that. So her rules are no girls who are loose, which, I mean, God knows what that means other than I'm assuming she means a virgin, uh, and who are not vaxxed. And if you look at this woman's legislative history, that is not limited necessarily to the COVID-19 vaccine. That oh could be gosh. meningococcal meningitis, could be talking polio, measles, mumps, rubella. Sheesh. The girl's got a rubella vaccine she ain't coming into our house. Sorry. I wonder what, what like the the interview process is like with these kind of men like how do do they have like a set of questions is there like a hinge that is just for people who are like this oh i think it's her doing it very directly going to the girl and be like excuse me miss um how many men have you copulated with oh have you breeded with have you been bred by anyone are you a virgin And then I'm sure that she has access to state records where she can look to see if she's got any vaccines. This is disturbing. Mm. It's very disturbing. Yeah. This woman seems to have been a loon for quite some time, though. The thing is, is like she it's still up there. And it's clear that people have reacted to it in a way where like you would think that if somebody were embarrassed by this or even even the slightest bit regretful, they would delete it. But. Hell fucking no. Has she doubled down? I don't know that she's literally doubled down, but to me, like, leaving it up and carrying on with your day and not saying anything, (laughs) that's doubling down to me, especially like this. If I'm her son, I'm stealing her goddamn phone and deleting Twitter permanently. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if she has any other kids, too, because I... Well, it says her oldest. So can yeah. you imagine those kids being like, oh, my God, if this is what Tyler... Because I'm guessing his name's Tyler or something like that. Yeah. Or, like, Bo with, an uh, with like, an X. Oh, that sounds too, too gay. Don't think so. <laughs> sorry, it's French, which French is gay. Right. Sorry. How could I... How could I forget? Try again. Do but better. Can you imagine being like the 16 year old being like, I'm never having a conversation with my mother ever again? <laughs> I can absolutely imagine that being my reaction for forever afterwards. Yeah. 100%. Look, we've all had our parents embarrass us. We have never had, most of us have never had our parents publicly in their capacity as an elected official say that that, that you are not allowed to. To have sex with anybody who has been vaccinated I or who isn't th- a virgin. Do you think that this is like digital cleaning the gun energy? Like the mom, even if she doesn't know this, she's just like, I'm putting it out there into the world that if some girl who wants to get with my, you know, son, that that the, this is like this is who we're looking for. Do you think that's what it is? It's like, is it like territorial? 
Perhaps there's a there's definitely some hints of Oedipal complex and then the reverse here. I think. Um, I, I mean, I don't even want to imagine what's going through her head. I think that she is. <laughs> I think this is her like fucked up mama bear thing of like I'm protecting my boy yeah. and I feel so bad for him. And no, this is you. You asked earlier. Is this is this the first of you know, whatever, is this the first time that she said something crazy? Absolutely the fuck not, you bet. Lay it on me, I wanna hear. Some of the greatest hits. Not This is not an exclusive list, non-exhaustive. Uh, so, she started out of the gate. I, she was not, um, she's not been in office for too long, I don't believe. Mm-hmm. Starts out of the gate strong. Her campaign slogan was that she supports the three Bs, businesses, babies, and bullets. <laughs> I'm assuming combined. I'm I'm shocked that Bible is not in there. That was a fuck up of like, massive why, proportion. Why is Bible not in there? I it should have been Bible babies and bullets. What the hell's wrong with her? Or the four Bs. Or the four Bs. It's four H four B. Yeah. I anyway, she screwed up. You know what? I'm gonna primary her and I'm gonna do four Bs. Taught me, bitch. I got the Bible. <laughs> uh, I don't want to say that though, because she'll probably interpret it some other way. Uh it, I said that she should have also like that her campaign against her son is being against the three B's for him, which is butts, boobs, and boning, unless you're unvaxxed. Why is that so funny? Because it's true. Oh my because god! Because it's butts, true. Boobs and boning. Well, she also has a track record of being against witches, which we've talked about many times on this show. Oh, Pro witch. The witches just like can't get a break. They can't. No, <laughs> trans people and witches, man, they just yeah. keep getting fucking thrown under the bus. And if you're a trans witch, God, God help bless you. you. Yeah. God bless you. God help you, or whomever you pray God to. God speed all of the God words. God get these people out of your life is what I would <laughs> That's say. That's right. <laughs> so this is a like a wild story. Not at all surprising though. At the beginning of the legislative chamber session, I believe in 2022. She introduced a pastor by the name of Curtis Hill from Life Church to lead a prayer. Anytime a church is named Life Church or something like that, like yeah. one of those modern names, like like The Rock or or Cave of God or something, it's Elevation. L yes, like named after physics. Yeah, <laughs> like inertia. Yes, <laughs> you you know it's energy be house. Energy house. Yes. <laughs> Kinetic God. Oh, that's a good one. It, this is that's, reverse. That's a, that's a that's a Christian therapist, though. Kinetic God. Oh, that's God. not a church. That's a Christian therapist. It sounds like something they do out in the desert for a week, and it costs ten thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that always makes me skeptical. I've had personal experience. I've talked about with that before of being accosted by a life church like pastor. Anyway, he was tasked with leading the prayer. She said, Curtis is an emer- this is a hell of an introduction. Oh boy. Curtis is an emerging prophetic voice in his generation. He empowers believers to think differently and consider the spiritual implications of world events in the heavenly realm influences them. So Holy she says shit. she says nicer things about this pastor than her son. I honestly, like I I wish somebody would introduce me like that. They should, and then you should endorse witchcraft afterwards. Yes, and I will. Good. I think you should. Uh, he started out with real fire and brimstone, you know, every, like, sinners and gays going to hell kind of thing, uh, and built up to this hilariously stupid crescendo, which went like this, direct quote, according to the authority of those who have been given Christ Jesus, 
I bind every foul spirit that is attempting to influence anyone who works in this space, specifically any spirit of control, manipulation, fear, apathy, harassment, prejudice, malice, perversion, and any and all witchcraft, divisiveness, deceit, and corruption. And then he went on to cast all of those out. This happened in the state house. Um, did, did the, all of the politicians just fall over dead right there? They did not. They should have, which so it seems is like an his indictment. Didn't work. <laughs> yeah, which means he's a fraud. Obviously, <laughs> I think that's that's a great point. They, I'm just saying, I, the facts are the facts. Vaccines, yeah. if you can believe it, she hates them. That was like kind of her whole thing when she was campaigning. She uh, she compared this is you know the great uh, the <laughs> what? How long before we got to the Jews and Holocaust reference? Oh boy, I was wondering. I was waiting for it. Well, here it is. Buckle up. She compared <laughs> vaccine cards to the badges that Jews had to wear to identify themselves as Jews during the Holocaust. Of course, they're the same thing. It's basically uncanny. yeah. I mean, obviously, that's why we brought them back. Yeah. And she invited someone named Dr. Sherry Tenpenny to testify. That's not real. It's <laughs> <laughs> sorry. If I mean, she doesn't sound like a real doctor. If that's what you're saying, <laughs> she invited Dr. Sherry Tenpenny to testify in support of her anti-vaccine legislation. Tenpenny is a prominent anti-vaccination advocate who is deemed quote unreliable by a special <laughs> master in federal court who forbade her testimony as an expert witness in an alleged a vaccine injury case. I just like that's the funniest possible single word that you could use to describe someone like that. Especially not a doctor. like a fraud or a fake or a phony. <laughs> just like this person is unreliable. And you know that they took that and they've got it framed somewhere in their office of like I conquered the fake news and the globalists. And oh, totally. And she also claimed that vaccinated people become magnetized, which uh. I would just say would love that to happen. I, dr I, yeah. I drop screws all the time. Hasn't happened yet. Um, what is the argument that would be like? Why would it be bad to be magnetized? Well, um, I don't know. I think seems uh, like a superpower to me. Yeah, we can reach That's out to Shin, to, to Tenpenny, see if she exists and wants to come on and talk about it. Anyway, so yeah, magnetize. I think it's pretty dope. Uh, I would actually encourage me to get the vaccine because it would just make life generally easier. Yeah. Uh, she also claimed that voting yes on issue one in Ohio, which, if you'll recall, is the uh, that was the abortion amendment to the Constitution. Yes, would be pro-abortion stance. Uh, she equated that to uh, voting to continue black genocide uh, because forty percent of abortions were black babies. Hmm. I did not check that statistic. I don't really care to. I just, let's just, let's just, you know, go back to the beginning of her thought, saying that black genocide is continuing would mean that at, she believes at some point there was a genocide uh, of black people in our country. Is she advocating for a critical race theory? Is whoa. that what I'm hearing? Whoa. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just breaking it down, bringing it to back to the beginning of her thought. Oh, man. That's a fascinating question. What Jennifer Gross, uh, answer to your constituents on this. You apparently support critical race theory. I think so. I think that's a yes. Shuck Jag guilty. Done.
done. Put it in the books. We're done. Yes. Shoot up that bitch and spat her right out. Yeah, I think she also chewed herself up, and I <laughs> don't think she's realized it yet. She's like the frog in the boiling water, and she's mm. like got her swim trunks on, thinking it's a good time. Yeah. Well, R.I.P. to her son. I hope not, man. I <laughs> like get out of there. If I can tell you any, go go somewhere safe, man. Like I, there's gotta be. You remember Kelly and Conway's daughter and how she? Oh hell yeah, like, she's kind of, like an OnlyFans or something, right? Yeah, yeah. There needs to be like um like a a support group <laughs> of the children of totally insane politicians. So maybe get in touch with her or join her OnlyFans. Although I don't think your mom would like that. Which is even more of a reason to do it. We su support sex workers and adult creators. It's a real job. It is. And uh, stick it to your mom. Like that <laughs> I'm sure Kellyanne Conway's daughter would like that. I'm sure yeah. she'd be totally for it. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's a win-win. Yeah, I don't claim to speak on her behalf, but I think that's probably true. Oi they. Oh my God! Well, that's enough about her. We've what we've spat on about these terrible people for long <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Uh, so you know what cold-hearted politicians need is a cup of Red Rooster coffee. Wouldn't that help them to warm yeah. their cold, dead souls? Yeah. You've been chugging along on some, haven't you? I have. I have. I continue to um, to try all of their new new coffees. What's really cool about Red Rooster is that they do small batch coffees. So you can get like a new roast every you know season. So we've been going through kind of their winter roasts and it's been really fun. Yeah, they've got some good stuff. They've got a one I think coming up for Valentine's Day called Lovebirds, the Valentine's Blend. Oh, that's cute. It's got raspberry milk chocolate, sweet tarts, white wine tasting notes. It looks very cute. The packaging very nice. Their packaging is just the best anyway. So yeah, they're the I, best. I'm excited they're to the see best. It. And again, I say this: my brother-in-law is a small batch coffee roaster who lives 20 minutes away from me. I. I am causing rifts in my family that may not be pre like repairable. Yeah. Fi like I'm hurting his business. Yeah. And look, do I feel great about it? No, but I feel good about Red Rooster Coffee. That's how much I love this coffee. And they're based out of Floyd, Virginia. That's in the Southwest Virginia, not West Virginia, Southwest Virginia. <laughs> a great little operation there. They're not even that little, honestly. They're they're chugging along, man. They've been they really are getting after it. Uh, we love them, and uh, if you want to try them, you can. Here's how, Callie. Tell them tell them the deal. Tell them the deal. Yeah, if Let you use our code Dolly D O L L Y, you can get free shipping on unlimited orders. So if you try something from Red Rooster, you love it. Um, you can set it on an auto refill, and you can get a subscription, and it'll be free shipping every time. So um, go ahead and do that. It's great coffee. There's something for everyone, um, and I think that uh, you'll really enjoy it. Check them out. They are so good, and we just love them. They are they are a good company. They are good people. They are doing good things. They take care of their employees, and they take yep. care to source their coffee responsibly. Which you know who uh, you know who may not be doing that much is. No, yeah, I'm glad that you didn't say your brother-in-law though. I was like, don't put him. No, on he does like that. <laughs> he does actually. He's he's very um uh, very I conscious. <laughs> he even went to Colombia and and met the people himself. Oh, that's awesome. It is awesome. 
Uh, so check out Red Rooster Coffee, redroostercoffee.com. Uh, they're good people. Check them out. Support them and support our show. Appreciate Use you. Use code Dolly. D-O-L-L-Y. Nailed it. Okay, so today we've wanted to talk about housing for a long time, and Mm -hmm. we are kind of dipping our toe into that world in a bit of a different way. And that's not to say that we won't address housing; we really do. And I've—it's been something I've wanted to do for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Um, Still, definitely on our radar. But today, we're going to be talking about homelessness, particularly in Appalachia, and especially in a city called Wheeling, which is in the northern panhandle of West Virginia. So before we get into that, we have a great interview um, with Justice Hudson. He's a freelance reporter based out of Wheeling. He's been covering this issue pretty much nonstop. But before that, Callie, you've done some research. You've been following this issue in several parts of Appalachia for quite some time now. Tell us a little bit about it and just like what's happening with crackdowns on homelessness. Sounds absurd. Absolutely. So one of the things um, that we saw last year, we had patterns that would kind of that would would domino from state to state throughout Appalachia. You'd see it with abortion bans and and you um, saw it with um, like Medicaid expansion, those kinds of things. And so one of the issue areas that a lot of states took action on last year and are taking up again in, in their legislative sessions this year is homelessness. And these, this is happening at the state level and in local governments too. And so I found just like a brief kind of window into what's happening throughout Appalachia and wanted to give you some examples. So we're talking about wheeling, but in addition to wheeling in Charleston, West Virginia, Manameal, which is like one of the longest serving um, institutions for free food um, for homeless folks in Charleston. Um, They served hundreds of meals every single day. They were indefinitely shut down by authorities. And there's no word as to what's going to happen for folks. And this is a really difficult time, obviously, with cold weather. Um, So that's happening in Charleston, in Kentucky. um, The Safer Kentucky Act includes a statewide camping and by camping read homelessness Mm -hmm. ban with penalties of up to $5,000 and one month in jail. um, If you sleep on, um, like if you, if you, if, uh, if you sleep on public land Um, and then also you get, uh, if, if local municipalities do not, enforce those laws um the state can take action against those municipalities so there are no like safe cities either um in western north carolina last year the city of Asheville conducted a sweep of homeless encampments and arrested journalists who were trying to cover those um that was a really big story in western north carolina um a journalist actually did go to jail and there have been lots of like civil liberties issues Terrible. surrounding that um and so there's a, that's a, a major problem going on in Asheville in Georgia same thing like a lot of lawmakers have cracked down on cities and counties who are more lenient on homeless camps so this is going from from public for, sorry from punishing the individual person to then punishing departments and townships and elected officials who aren't as cruel 
it's 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 like this kind of double layer of of cruelty there's a, a a cicero institute that's pushing a model in pennsylvania this is a think tank um they are kind of like the center for american progress that does progressive policy but they do it for um like more conservative and right-wing policy so they've been workshopping in pennsylvania within kind of different municipalities and and have now put forward a model with residency limits, bans on permanent encampments, and penalties for cities um, that refuse to remove encampments in Pennsylvania as well. So this is also not just the infrastructure of each state. It goes into the conservative, like, kind of thought process and, and thought leaders going um, to, like, the Cicero Institute and stuff like that. So this is happening in a worrisome way in a lot of places in Appalachia. It's really troubling, and something that we talk about in the interview, which we'll get to in just a second, is how homelessness is is just, it's ignored, or when it's addressed, it's addressed improperly. Every politician, pretty much, at least at the local and state level, say they want to do something about homelessness. And this this is everywhere, like California to Florida to Maine to wherever. They're all like, yeah, we need to do something about homelessness. Now, there's some that are more empathetic of like, we need to provide more resources or we need to, you know, figure out the root cause of this versus others like, we need to get off the streets because they're all criminals. But mm-hmm. hardly anything's ever done because there's no political capital in it. Uh, homeless people don't have any political power. Yeah. And it's just oftentimes they're not seen as real people. And they mm-hmm. are. And many of them are people that, you know, one or two either missteps or misfortunes put them in the situation that they're in. And some of them, some of the ones mentioned in the interview, like they work, they're working people too. Yeah. So it's really just, there's so many misconceptions that I think people hold about homelessness and it's a shame. And this criminalization of it, which is effectively what it is, Mm -hmm. is it's very worrisome. It doesn't do anything to solve the problem. Yeah. The problem of people not having a place to live. Yeah. And one of the things that I think gets a lot of um, kind of size from the left uh, is when when people bring up homelessness of our veterans. And I do feel like we should at least acknowledge that that is such a major um, barrier right now to recovery for so many veterans out there um there there are so many that suffer from ptsd or have um an injury from their time in the service that makes them unable to work and they often don't know how to work the system in the same way that other folks um can and have the resources for um and so that's also i think particularly in appalachia there are a lot of folks that are that are veterans who are suffering too um and I, I don't know if we, we touched on that, but I just recently read an article about how that problem is still so persistent. It It's uh, it's really troubling. It it just is. And, and especially with veterans, I mean, look how many Republicans say that they support veterans, they support the troops, but there's such little attention given to veterans after they come back. And uh, yeah. it's just a shame. It's shameful. This is all shameful. And so today we're talking with Justice Hudson, who, like I mentioned, is, among other things, a freelance reporter based out of Wheeling. They have a great sub stack, which I'll link to. Uh, you should all check it out. They've been following 
an issue in Wheeling quite closely. And it's, like we mentioned, very emblematic of what's happening across Appalachia in the country right now, where the Wheeling City Council uh, voted, split vote, to basically, I I don't want to get the wording messed up, so I won't say what it specifically addressed, but the effective action taken was that these camps got bulldozed. Yeah. And uh, along with some belongings, too. It's very shameful. And Justice does a great job of laying out the whole context of everything. It's a very great interview. It's a very extensive interview. So I don't even need to provide any background detail. He gets into all of it. And uh, so, and I think it's really great. And he talks a lot about the um, the re- the reason that the city manager in Wheeling has so much power and 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 has been the one leading the charge on these demolitions. It's pretty wild. It's really troubling, uh, but it's an extremely important interview with someone who is really doing some incredible work there. So I think you all will really appreciate it. And enjoy it. Yeah. years for the depression Peter Thompson staked his claim in a little mountain town Kenton was her Justice thank you so much for coming and doing this this show this interview especially on a whim i know that i reached out to you earlier today so thank you for the flexibility i want to start by just asking you a little bit about your background how did you get involved in doing local freelance journalism and and how did you get involved in this particular issue yeah um well thank you very much um you guys at podlatch has been a really big supporter um, throughout this process, you guys have shared a lot of my reporting, and that's really meaningful. Um, I I am uh, 26 years old. Uh, I'm from St. Albans, West Virginia. Um, I moved to Wheeling to volunteer at a nonprofit here where I did farming. Um, I did community engagement uh, at different area schools. I would work with service groups that usually came from Christian high schools or sometimes just colleges, college students would send kids here. Um, When I went to college, um, and I will admit I'm a college dropout um, for various situations that don't really matter, Um, but I studied history and women and gender studies. So I have no background in journalism. I have a background somewhat in writing. Um, History is a very uh, uh, writer's heavy kind of uh, degree to try to achieve. Um, I got into journalism because I, ever since I was young, I can remember back in middle school, I would stay up all night watching the news. I got really interested in news and politics. Um, in my senior year of high school, I joined a nonprofit called, at the time it was called Inspire West Virginia. Sadly, they no longer exist. But it was a voter registration uh, nonprofit that registered high school seniors to vote. So I registered my entire senior class to vote, which was about 250 students. Um, I went on to help register about 1,000 students in Kanawha County um, when I had graduated from their program and kind of started working for them for a short time. 
Um, and my earliest, you know, kind of uh, media is like when I started driving, NPR was always on. And it was to the point where if I had someone in my car and it's the top of the hour, it's like, actually, can you shut up? Because I'm trying to hear the news. <laughs> so I'm have always been interested in it. Um, but I've also always worked like service slash low paying jobs. And I've always kind of had this dream of being a reporter. But every time I would think about putting an application in, um, I would not do it because I don't have a degree. And I know that established media is um, looking for that paper that says I studied X and I interned at Y and that's why I should work for you. Um, So actually I'm celebrating my one year anniversary of starting my editorial called the Hudson editorial. Um, I focus on wheeling area politics, culture, arts, um, current events, elections as of recently Um, And I started that in part uh, because of the West Virginia legislature last year, as they considered this ban on uh, trans affirming healthcare, um, gender confirming healthcare, I got very upset and I really wanted to be able to um, share my opinions in a productive way. And um, I started following this account, this newspaper called Black by God, the West Virginian, and they had kind of put out a call. They're awesome. Crystal is a godsend to this state. Um, and she wanted, she put out the call for people called folk reporters to attend their local government and kind of report on it. And that's where it all started. My very first article was a recap of um, my city council meeting. It was like the first meeting of February. And at that meeting, um, the city council approved a an ordinance that uh, had like black cultural, black hairstyles protected uh, against discrimination called the Crown Act. Mm-hmm. So I felt like that was a sign. I was like, black by God, they want to have this thing. And the first thing I'm reporting on is this like, monumental kind of piece of legislation in the city uh, that will protect people from if you have braids or you have a fro or you have any kind of protective hairstyle um, you can't be discriminated against for that so it felt like a sign and um, that's kind of my background it's kind of weird it's I went from farming for a few years to now I work as a legal aide I serve burgers Uh, part-time and I write independently and sometimes freelance for other publications when I have the time. That's, That's I love that. I love that background. That's so interesting. And I, I take your point about, Legacy publications looking for that very particular background because I think it robs them of their ability to really get a diverse pool of people that are reporting on important issues. So I'm, I'm really glad that you're doing what you're doing. So let's jump into the issue at hand. I, I feel like so many politicians, they all say that they want to address the issue of homelessness, and, and some of them actually do. Some of them are, are you know, come, come to it from a point of empathy and altruism, and there's others that just want to get rid of homeless people in general because they view them as a nuisance. So this issue is, it, it's talked about a lot. I feel like a lot is not often done on it. Um and it seems like, at least in my opinion, that the Wheeling 
uh, city, city of Wheeling, is going in the wrong direction on the situation there right now. I was hoping that you could talk to us a little bit about what the background is there, what's happening, and what's currently the situation on the ground. And so, you know, a lot of people like to say that homelessness is a big issue, um, but that usually means one of two things. It either means that you want to see people off the streets in a healthy way, or you want to see people off the streets in a negative way. Um, so yeah, just a little bit of a backstory here in Wheeling. Um, you know, this has been an ongoing issue, uh, back in the summer of this year, uh, one of the local groups called street moms, uh, they reported, you know, up to 200 people in the area that were homeless. So it's been something that, uh, has been in the zeitgeist for a long time. You know, this isn't a new issue. Um, I think COVID definitely saw um, eyes turn to the homeless community even harsher um, in some ways for good. I think nationally, you know, we saw homelessness decline as we tried to get people off the streets for their own safety. Um, but that those numbers are now back on the rise. Um, so it's it's been an issue. Um, I want to say, you know, sometimes toward the early fall in August, we started hearing people on council, uh, in city government, uh, start to talk about uh, crime as it relates to homelessness. Um, so there is a local journalist slash radio host who um, submitted a FOIA request, and that FOIA request has been put it, called into question many times about the data that it gave back. But basically, uh, this man, you know, requested crime statistics uh, as it relates to homelessness. And what came back was a number of like the police were claiming that a majority of crime comes from homelessness. Like, but these numbers are um, confusing. Uh, the data showed not only calls for homelessness in general, but it also included welfare checks and warrant services, um, which is problematic because if you're serving a warrant, that's not necessarily a new crime. Uh, that warrant could be years old, um, as well as welfare checks. Like that is just checking on someone's well-being. Um, so that happened sometime in August or September. Um, I, at the end of September, you know, Parkersburg City Council passed an ordinance banning urban camping. Um, and then pretty quickly after that, uh, in the beginning of October, our city manager, Robert Heron, was quoted in the local paper, The Intelligencer, saying that Wheeling would consider a similar measure. Um, and I think it's important for people to understand, too, that uh, Wheeling operates as a city manager, mayor style government. Um, I think it could probably be more accurately city council uh, or city manager or city council. Um, so the city manager is the lead executive, um, which is really not unique in the state, but uh, it's a powerful role. Yeah. Um, he's been in that role for now coming on 22 years. Um, so he is the, unelected, right? It's unelected. It's a, a it's a council appointed position. Um, he really has broad authority to do whatever he wants. And the only kind of accountability measures for the city council or for the city manager, excuse me, is that the city council can 
um, suspend him, the city council can remove him. Uh, but to do that, you would need a super majority. You would need five out of the seven votes. Um, our mayor is a, is a weak mayor. He, that, the mayor's role in town could really be best described as the chair of the city council. He leads the legislative side of government. Um, so Robert Heron comes in the beginning of October to the intelligencer and says that the city council is likely going to consider a similar measure. So we were definitely put on alert. Um, about midway through October, um, the city manager, Robert Heron, uh, posted uh, these notices of evictions on this hillside that overlooks downtown where... You know, there at the time in the summer, there was probably 20 to 40 people. It definitely fluctuates that were living on this hillside. Um, and basically the order said, you have two weeks to leave. Um, and wow. if I could backtrack just a minute, <laughs> back in 2020 is actually maybe where the conversation really started because we had, during the height of COVID, the first kind of waves of COVID, we had an encampment that was under an underpass uh, right next to the Catholic Charity Neighborhood Center, which provides meals, showers, um, and a warming shelter. And the city came, or actually the Department of Highways, the State Department of Highways came in and said, you cannot be here, it's a safety issue. And the ACLU of West Virginia sued, and the ACLU of West Virginia was able to get guidelines from a court order from federal court that stated if the city wishes to demolish a camp, they must provide two week notice to the camp. They must provide a two week notice to service providers. And then on request at the day of demolition, they must provide up to, I think it was like two hours of additional time for people to get their stuff out. So that's where it started. Then you have Parkersburg in 2023, uh, September, 2023 passing their ordinance. In October of 2023, you have the city manager posting their two-week notice at this camp in East Wheeling. Um, service providers, advocates, uh, myself in my reporting capacity, uh, we rallied around getting that eviction halted and we were successful in that. Um, it, was a, it was a huge push. It, it led up to a demonstration outside of the city council building um, right in front of Robert Heron's office. Uh, he gave that reprieve but then shortly after at the next city council meeting, they introduced the ordinance. Uh, they debated it for a couple meetings. And then on November 7th, by a vote of five to seven, they adopted an urban camping ban, which is almost exactly word for word what Parkersburg passed. It bans camping, cooking, and storage of personal items on any public property, uh, on waterways, easements, um, the only exceptions that differ from Parkersburg is that the city of Wheeling reduced the fine from it was 100 to 500. Now it's $10 to $500. And they also gave an option for community service. And they added a provision uh, that included the potential for exemptions, which was presented to the population as being a managed camp a camp with guidelines and workers and fencing. Uh, there are federal guidelines for managed camp. Uh, so that's where we were at in November 7th. They passed this ordinance. It went into effect January 1st. On January 3rd, 
Um, they went out to a camp that included two people with one tent. They brought two bulldozers, two dump trucks, uh, 12 city officials, including two police officers um, at eight in the morning to kick these people out. And one of those bulldozers came within eight feet of a tent where one of the people residing there was sleeping. Um, they immediately called service providers. So the street moms were the first on scene, followed by the House of Hagar, Catholic Charities, the Greater Wheeling Homeless Coalition. So many people came out. They gave them the court order. They said, remember this court order that you yourself, you know, you were a party in this. You didn't provide the proper notice. So the city manager rescind, you know, stopped that demolition, gave the two-week notice, um, that two week notice expired on January 17th on January 16th, which was just this past Tuesday, we had a city council meeting and at that city council meeting, uh, two counselors who were the lead kind of sponsors for this ordinance, uh, counselor Ben Seidler and counselor Jerry Sklavanakis, um, in a very condescending tone, stated that there was an exemption process that nobody had filed for an exemption. Now- Nobody in the I've camp been, had filed for an exemption? Really? Nobody in the camp or none of the service providers. Oh my God. And that was the first time anybody had ever heard about this exemption process. Um, so that really riled people up. And then that culminated in just this past Thursday, um, January 18th, uh, right on the heels of the worst winter storm to hit Wheeling in this winter season. Um, the city with again, you know, two bulldozers, multiple dump trucks, three police officers, several city employees came and actually demolished camps. They demolished uh, three or four different camps uh, one of those camps, uh, one of the gentlemen was at work, so the his partner had to rush down to find him so that they could try to clear some of their stuff out of there. Um, another camp, this uh, couple who I actually interviewed for a project that I did, um, they had become homeless because their house was foreclosed. Um, they knew that this uh, demolition was likely going to start. So they had they had all their household items in this camp. It's a really beautiful camp. I have pictures on the Hudson editorial of this really beautifully decorated camp. So they had packed all that stuff into totes. And the plan was that a truck with a trailer was going to come help them load it up. But before that truck could get there, the city took all of these totes and started trashing them. So not only did they lose their home just a couple months ago, but now they've lost basically everything that they had. And they had a lot, a lot of stuff. Um, so sorry, this has been a lot. And I'm just going to wrap it up now with the kind of recap is that where we're at now is that the city has given a 10 day reprieve of these demolitions. They have approved a um, site, not for a managed camp, but for an exempted camp to be uh, run by the Catholic Charities uh, Neighborhood Center, actually in the same location as the 2020 camp that uh, the Department of Highways, you know, closed down. Um, so they've basically said, everybody has to move here. 
Um, and then after this 10 days, which actually I think right now we're on nine days left, those demolitions are going to continue throughout the city. Yeah. It's terrible. I, I appreciate you walking through all that because that was super helpful. So one of the reasons why we're talking about this on the show is because it's not just unique to Wheeling. All throughout Appalachia and really the country, similar things like this are happening to homeless people and in communities where there are homeless people. And it's really troubling. And you mentioned some of the issues that has been encountered, especially at this time of the year when, when the winter cold is so horrible. It, it's just, it's devastating. And I just, I come back to, I just don't understand the council, like what their thinking was on this, the members that voted for this. Uh, what is the rationale? Like what, at least what are they saying the rationale is? What, what, where are they really placing their logic on this? Um, well, that's a really good final kind of point to your question. Uh, does it make sense? Uh, I'm not here to necessarily make that judgment. Uh, personally, it does not make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to the service providers who are providing critical care every day to homeless people. Um, you know, the rationale given by certain city council members and uh, by the city manager who ordered this eviction, the demolition, because the ordinance does not detail demolition. The ordinance just says it's illegal to camp. Right. You know, so these are two distinct issues. Um, it, it's kind of uh, pedantry, but it, I think it is kind of important as well. But, um, you know, they are pointing to crime. They're saying that um, that residents are complaining about crime. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that crime is not an issue. Uh, crime is an issue. It, I don't think it's as big as an issue. You know, there are countless studies that show that Americans believe crime is worse than it actually is. It doesn't matter if crime is going up or down. Americans are like more likely to say crime is a big issue in their city. Um, but, you know, we had city councilors that were saying, I can't take my kids. Moms don't want to walk down on the trail because they see homeless people defecating and naked and uh, throwing needles everywhere and using. And there is there are issues that, you know, that can correlate to that. There are there is a litter issue, but that litter issue is not specifically related to homelessness. Like I live beside a business who I know and I have seen their customers throw their trash in front of my house. Those are not homeless people. And even if um, crime is an issue, majority of crime is actually coming from people that are housed. Like that is just like bare bones facts. And you wouldn't dem demolish someone's house because they were committing crime. Uh, there are other exactly. kind of instances. There are things that you could do instead of that. Um, so crime is really the big thing. Um, the city has said, so we have a low barrier winter free shelter that has uh, from December 15th to March 15th is when they operate. And their goal is to become a year round low barrier shelter. Um, and in case people don't understand, a low barrier shelter means that if you are in active substance use disorder, um, if you are, um, if you can't, you know, you have a criminal record, uh, depending on what that is, uh, there are some guidelines uh, but they're not going to turn you away. If anything, they're going to find you a safe spot to be in that shelter, no matter who you are. 
Um, the other shelters that we have in town are very low capacity and they have guidelines. You cannot be an active substance uh, use disorder. You have to be clean. You have, And that's hard for people that are, you know, really, really facing some of the most challenging times of their life. Absolutely. Um, but the city is saying that there is adequate shelter beds. And so when they demolish these camps, they're telling people go to the winter free shelter. Not only is the shelter a temporary shelter, the second issue with it is that it's only open from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. Uh, right now they have extended hours because of the cold. So different organizations have kind of, you know, one organization will be open from 8 a.m. until 530. And then the Life Hub has now started opening from 530 to 8 and then their normal 8 to 8 hours. Um, but the, the third issue with the Life Hub is that there is only currently about 40 to 50 beds. And the director of the Life Hub, who actually happens to be the homeless liaison for the city as well, um, has stated that every single night uh, they have been at capacity or over capacity. Um, so having enough beds for people is an issue. The, the health department locally has you know, said you can only have this amount of people. So there just simply are not enough beds for people, but the city is trying to say another thing. They're trying to say there is enough beds. So this is okay that we're doing that. Uh, but the main, oh, and sorry, the fourth issue is that there is no storage of public or personal items at the Life Hub. So you cannot take your you know, two or three suitcases worth of your belongings, everything that really you own to your name, which is usually just like changes of clothing and right. towels and blankets. You cannot take that and store it at the shelter. You can have a small bag. Um, if you have a pet, you can't be at the winter free shelter because they don't have pets. Um, if you aren't comfortable for whatever reason, mental health or abuse or trauma, you and you're not comfortable staying in an open sleeping sleeping arrangement, you're not going to go to the winter free shelter. So, but the city is using crime, crime as the uh, reason for this. Now, just briefly and anecdotally, I'll say that I have, you know, two main jobs in the city. I walk to those jobs every day. Um, I live in East Wheeling, which is one of the kind of uh, ground zero areas for where homeless people transit through between where they're staying and where the service is. And I, as a man, clarifying that part. Um, I have never had an issue with safety as it relates to homeless people. The worst that I have ever had was somebody asking for money, me politely saying I don't have money on me, and then so, like them cussing, like saying a curse word at me. Right. Like that is the worst that I've ever experienced. Um, and I'm not trying to trivialize other people's experiences, but I don't see what the city council's saying. I don't see people defecating on the streets. Um, I actually have more of a problem with people's dogs pooping on the streets and them not picking it up. Like <laughs> yeah. that is a bigger issue <laughs> in my life. So um, that's the issue. They're saying it's crime, it's drugs. They're leaving needles at the Catholic school, the local um, private school that's here in East Wheeling. They're leaving needles out near their um, exercise facilities. It's it's that's the that's it. They won't specifically say this is the crime. These are the crimes that are happening. Bob Heron is just saying, no, we're not going to exempt this camp 
up on the hillside because of crime. I feel like this is all so disappointing and disheartening. And I think, you know, so much about homelessness is misunderstood. And I don't claim to know everything about it by any means, but it's often misunderstood. And I think people in power take advantage of that to make excuses for things like crime and, and use that as an excuse oftentimes. And it's, you know, the, people often, they find themselves in this situation, most people don't want to be homeless. <laughs> like, it's not something that is a desirable situation to be in. And there needs to be more empathy for this. And, you know, I think that there's just, there's so much more to it that people aren't seeing. And the other problem is, is that homeless people, they don't have any political clout. They don't have any political power. So, you know, they have to have other people advocating for themselves with power. And that alone is very difficult because, you know, there's not a lot in politics to gain from doing something like that. Uh, sadly, it's a shame. And so it's it just has created such an interesting situation now where you have a council um, that was somewhat divided on this. I believe it was like a 3-2 split or a 5-2 split, something like that, where Mayor Elliott and uh, Councilwoman Rosemary Ketchum were the two people voting against this uh, um, eventual demolition. Have they said anything about this? Like, what's been their their uh, uh, thinking on all of this? Um. <laughs> well, first, I do want to kind of just build on to what you're saying. Uh, about homeless people who find themselves in homelessness. Um, they're not all the same. And when I did my reporting about the evictions in October, the potential evictions, that was the main thing I was hearing from people. Not everybody's in active substance use disorder. Um, not everybody is there because they want to. There are some people who will always want to stay in a tent. That's going to happen. It's a very small portion of the people outside but there are people who are not going to want to live as society deems that they should. And that's a really important thing to understand because we should be accommodating to how anybody wants to, you know, conduct their lives as long as they're not hurting themselves or hurting other people. Um, you know, that's, that's the big important thing. Uh, people work, uh, people that got sick and, you know, couldn't pay for their bills and found themselves homeless um, one woman named Misty who stays up on the hillside to be close to her disabled father, um, who there, that apartment building will not let her stay there. They put her on the blacklist, even though she is the person who gets his medications, food, et cetera. Um, wow. but yeah, so you're, you're completely right. The vote was a, a five to seven, um, counselor Rosemary Ketchum, Ward 3, whose ward includes the East Wheeling Hillside and the majority of homeless people in the city, uh, she voted against it. She It was a very principled vote. She was against uh, what she called the criminalization of homelessness. Uh, and Mayor Glenn Elliott, who is now running for the U.S. Senate, uh, who voted against it not necessarily for a principal reason. Uh, actually, one of the quotes that he said was that this ordinance was 85 to 90 percent the way there but that it wasn't fully completed or fleshed out and so he couldn't support it mm -hmm. um neither of them have been public necessarily on social media uh rosemary ketchum is also running a mayoral campaign um in now rosemary on the council has been public uh but the council only meets twice a month so um in my opinion i would like to see her and glenn uh, put out statements 
on Facebook where the voters are like constantly engaging with them. Right. Uh, but I know for a fact that Rosemary is really disheartened by what happened on Thursday. I've had personal off record conversations with her where she's like, you know, obviously I didn't support this. This is awful. And I, I, I have not had a conversation with mayor Glenn Elliott. Um, I did see him just this past Saturday and usually, you know, we say hi, we're like, whatever, um, for whatever reason that didn't happen this time. Uh, I, it could have something to do with my reporting kind of getting out to a really broad audience. And he's been getting, I've seen pushback online where people are like, you know, how can you, you know, how can you be an effective leader in the Senate? if you cannot effectively lead the council. Now it's just, it is important to note that he is just one member of a seven member body. Um, and so it, but he has not been able to whip enough votes to suspend that ordinance. Um, it does seem like he is not in favor of this. I saw comments on Facebook where he was kind of pushing back at people who were saying like, why aren't you doing anything? And he's like, you know, I've been in constant communication with the city manager um, and he's been clarifying that the city manager does have the power and the authority to do this. Um, but there's not really been a statement. There have been comments. There have been, um, a, like I said, a pushback, um, which is not I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying, like, this is right. where we're at. Um, no city councilor who supported that ban, nor the city, you know, Councilor Ketchum or Mayor Elliott were at the camps while they were being demolished. Neither was Robert Heron, the city manager. Um, I know that that for personally, for me, that was a little disheartening. I think if I was able to trudge my way up, even though I have two other jobs, I was able to be on site for a couple hours. It would have been nice to see somebody come up uh, on site, especially because other counselors like Ty Thorngate, uh, Jerry Sklavanakis, who was the lead proponent of this ordinance, they said they are not happy about what happened on Thursday. Uh, Ty Thorngate actually had a private conversation that appears to have been recorded, which is legal in the state of Washington. Um, ethical, I'm not going to make a comment on that. Uh, but, you know, he did say that's not what he wanted to see when he supported that ban, but it's what happened. And we knew it was going to happen. And the council had an ability on Tuesday, uh, the 16th, to make some kind of action uh, or, and, and no action happened. They've had months uh, to plan for this inevitability. Um, but it, it does seem that people are upset. Um, just uh, really anecdotally, uh, I went on a local TV station, WTRF 7 News Facebook page comments about the homeless demolitions. Now, if you know anything about Facebook and local news, it is maybe the scariest section. <laughs> yeah, I'm like holding section. my breath here thinking about what this is going to look like. I exactly had the same thought was like, oh, my God, about to go into the tiger's den. But the majority of comments were against the demolition, wow. which was absolutely shocking. And so and I kind Some of hope jokingly, for humanity. A little bit. Little I, bit. I, I joked that if you lose the comment section, the commenters on WTRF, you've lost. <laughs> like, it's yeah, over. <laughs> um, so there is pushback. Yeah. And we'll have to just kind of wait and see. 
Um, the ACLU is still in negotiations with the city. Um, it seems like that those negotiations are positive. The city put out a press release on Friday saying that an agreement had been reached. The ACLU countered within the hour that said that no agreement has been finalized. So it's really the city is Tense. finding themselves in a terrible situation. Um, off the record comment that I received was that the city solicitor, our city's top lawyer, was on the phone with ACLU, ACLU lawyers screaming at them after this brouhaha on Friday. So I'm sure um, the fire has been turned on. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, it is tough for me to see a path forward that is not just continued demolition, but that is just me being a classic pessimist Appalachian uh, but I mean, we will wait and see. No, no, I totally get it. And you kind of have to be prepared for the worst, especially with you're one of the people that's in the line of fire. I, I want to get into, you know, what are solutions? What, what's, what's going to happen next? Those kinds of things. But first I do want to dial back to this issue about the city manager, because that really stuck out to me. This person who's an unelected bureaucrat, essentially with so much power been in this role for, you know, two plus decades. I mean, what is the situation there? Is there efforts to try to, change who that person is like get the council to appoint somebody else has there been pressure put on him because to me it seems like that's that really is the chief culprit almost you know there's i'm not trying to take blame away from the people on the council certainly that voted for this but it certainly seems like there's a lot of culpability with the city manager uh don't get me wrong um in my reporting in this conversation with you um i believe i've been very clear that Robert Heron, the city manager of Wheeling, ordered these demolitions, yeah. who has the full authority to stop them. Uh, he himself said that he has total authority. Um, there has been pushback. Now, it is a he is, um, I'm not saying he's a bad man. I've had private conversations yeah. with the guy. He is um, a very friendly man. He's an older man. Um, he is as complicated as any human being can possibly be, uh, just like myself. Uh, but he maybe one of the reasons why he's not seeing as much pushback. He is receiving pushback, but not as much is because he is kind of on this pedestal where, you know, every person in Wheeling could say, we want the city manager to go. But the only person or people that could make that happen are five members of the city council right. and five members of the city council supported the homeless ban. So it doesn't really seem like that is a potential. We've definitely seen the criticism of Robert Heron increase, um, whether it be through memes, which has been pretty funny to see, um, or whether it's been through just direct calls. I have seen comments on Facebook you know, asking as Glenn Elliott's trying to defend himself and, you know, some would argue rightfully so because he is in a very tricky minority position. Um, they say, well, have you, tr you know, I've seen people ask, have you tried to get him removed? Um, Robert Heron back in 2019 was arrested for a DUI after crashing his city-owned vehicle. Oh, God. <laughs> um, he blew a 0. 0.3 uh, 
Um, the city wow. paid for yes. Holy the city, shit! Okay. The city paid for him to go to rehab. Uh, you know, the man makes over a hundred thousand dollars. Ultimately, they brought him back. I'm not gonna sit here and judge him because people suffer from addiction. Yeah, and people yeah. deserve to have uh, you know, have rehabilitation, a chance at recovery. Uh, I strongly believe in that. So I'm not mentioning that because of. I'm like anti-alcoholism. Well, I guess I am, but like I'm not anti-people who suffer yeah, from I alcoholism. Hear you. I get what you're but I'm bringing that up because he, uh, you know, he also had to, as part of his kind of punishment, served this Wheeling Soup Kitchen. Um, so the same people that he served hot meals to, he's now kind of kicking them out of their houses, and wow. that has been a very poignant piece. Uh, there's a person uh, that I know in town that on the day of demolition had a picture of Bob Heron. I think it was his mugshot and it said, ask me about public safety. Like, so it's been, there's been that kind of pushback, which is okay. kind of funny, but there's also been the pushback of like city council. Where are you? Um, I also bring it up because there was an attempt back in 2019 to remove him uh, and that vote failed two to five. And the two members who voted against that removal are no longer on city council. The five members who voted against his removal are on city council. So it just kind of, it, it's, the math isn't mathing. Like it's not adding right. up. Like, uh, but there, there has definitely been pushback. Um, it's maybe it's not as, like I said, it's not as much because he's not an elected official he doesn't have to run a campaign. He doesn't have to, you know, everyone can call him a bad boy, and but he's not going to have to face the voters. It's the people like Glenn Elliott and Rosemary and Chad Thalman and Ty Thorngate, Jerry Sklavinakis, Ben Seidler, uh, Dave Palmer. These are our city council. They have to face the voters in May and uh, to try to get reelected, to get elevated to a new position. So they're the ones that people are really putting the pressure on right now. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The way they explain that makes total, total sense. You know, the the buck does fall at the city manager, but ultimately the, the council has the control over who that is. Uh, to wrap up, I want to um, ask, you know, there's probably a lot of people listening to this. Maybe they're not in wheeling, but they, they want to do something, feel compelled to help in some way. What are, what are some ways that... Uh, um, that people can help support these individuals who have lost their effective homes, who, who are part of the homeless population that are suffering from these policies? What, what can people do to help? Uh, that's a really great question. And as I was reporting live, um, that was what one of the biggest responses I was getting was, how can I help? Um, it says a lot about Appalachians. We want to help the people that are in need. Um, number one is to share the stories that are being posted. I've been posting stories, uh, local papers, the Intelligencer, WTRF, which is a news station, WTOV9, which is a news station, uh, West Virginia Watch, uh, West Virginia News, soon, you know, Abpod Lacha, you know, all of these kind of news slash independent journalists, uh, one of my friends, uh, hey, John Russell on Twitter, who yeah, uh, has John. his own. He's awesome. Uh, he's going to be coming out with a video story, which is, I think, really going to humanize the story in a way that 
my journalism and other people's journalism cannot do as effectively as a video. Yeah, um, he's good at that too. He's amazing. So share those stories and say your opinion on it and uh, direct those comments at the people that are running the city. It has a big impact. Uh, the reason why Glenn Elliott has been in Facebook comments and Twitter comments kind of defending himself, and again, rightfully so in some ways, is because it's getting widespread attention. And as he runs his Senate campaign, as Chad Thalman runs a mayoral campaign, as Rosemary Ketchum runs her mayoral campaign, and as the rest of the council runs their reelection bids, they are you know, going to be looking out for the criticism. And that's how one way that you can really affect change is to just share a story. It takes nothing. It's no money. It's free. Um, you put it on your Twitter. It might make people a little sad, but, you know, don't get lost in, in depression. You know, uh, one way I'm able to do what I do is that I, I get personally attached, but at the same time, there's a point where you put a close to it and you say, now I'm going to move on with my day and sure. the, the rest of the day happens. That's step one. Just share stuff. I, before I started reporting, I never thought that just sharing on social media would have an impact. It does. Um, the, the whole reason why way, we're doing this interview is because I saw your <laughs> stuff. So it totally does. Right. Um, and like I got, I've received like 70 or 80 followers on Twitter since posting that. I'm a nobody, like, you know, virtually. Mm -hmm. And, you know, legislators at the House of Delegates and the state Senate, part, uh, state political parties, um, people have been following me. They're interested. They're, they've got their eyes on it. Um, so that's one way. The second way would be if you have the resources to use those resources wisely. Um, street Moms, which is the organization that was, you know, first on the scene on January 3rd, one of the first on the scene January 16th when these demolition or 17th when the demolition started. Um, they have put out an Amazon wish list, which is on my Twitter. It's on their Facebook page, Street M-O-M-S, Moms. Um, and they also have like a donation link specific if, you know, if you're not comfortable with Amazon or whatever it be, mm -hmm. you can donate to them. The Life Hub West Virginia, who runs our local winter free shelter, they're also taking donations right now. Um, you know, they had to fight like hell back in December to get $100,000 in funding for their winter free shelter. The same shelter that the city was like, this is where everyone's going to go. She had to fight. Dave Palmer of Ward 6 actually said this is the most debated $100,000 we've ever spent. Really? And it was specifically to open the shelter that they pointed to as a solution. <laughs> so that is also in my Substack article about that meeting. It was like kind of like, thank you, Dave Palmer, who nobody would have guessed would have been the voice of reason. No offense to Dave. I like Dave. He's fine, you know, but he's a conservative. He's a conservative minded individual. And he was very frank. He said, this is the most debated. Uh, and it was true. So I would donate to the Life Hub. Um, the House of Hagar, who's the lead plaintiff, one of the lead plaintiffs of the ACLU's lawsuit, um, I would also recommend donating to them. Uh, they should have a link up on their website. They haven't put out a specific call for donations or like a mutual aid link since this started. Um, 
But those are kind of the main organizations. You know, Catholic Charities, I love Catholic Charities. Um, they are tied with the Catholic Church. The Wheeling Charleston Diocese is one of the richest uh, dioceses in the country. Wow. So I don't necessarily think they're taking donations. If they are, um, if you choose to support them, then that's great. Um, but I do think that they're probably doing all right. Um, places locally, like the House of the Carpenter, they've been collecting um, donations for gently used coats. A big thing right now is suitcases. Again, because without the tents, there is not a place to store your personal property. People are going to have to carry what they can in bags and suitcases. So that's been one of the big pushes recently is getting some type of bag for people. Um, those are my suggestions. Share stories, uh, tag elected officials in a respectful manner. Nothing will ever get accomplished if you just tag Mayor Elliott and like, what the F, man, you suck. You're never going to win. Like, that's really unhelpful. Um, if that's how you choose to conduct yourself online, I'm whatever. But it's just like, it's not very productive. When I see that, I don't feel like it's a productive manner. Yeah, it's so not it very persuasive. It's not, not very persuasive. persuasive. <laughs> uh, he's going to get defensive. And I think anybody would get defensive. Like, even like, you know, I would get defensive if someone's coming on my post like that. So in a respectful manner, you know, I'm not going to tell people, hey, call the city manager's office. But guess what? The city manager's office has a phone number and an email and people do call them, um, especially Wheeling residents, you know, should be using those numbers. Uh, write a letter to the council. Um, just keep the heat on. Tune into the city council meetings. They're the first and the third Tuesday of every month. They're streamed live on the Facebook page. Um, comment and say, and like people, it does affect change. So I threw out a lot there, uh, but I think it's all, you know, different ways that different people can, you know, if you don't have money, you can still help by sharing posts. Absolutely. If you have money, now's the time to use it. Um, that's what I would suggest to people. Thank you. If I could say one last thing. Sure. Um, because I, I did forget to say this and you've reminded me. The issue of homelessness is a national issue. And Rosemary Ketchum said this very beautifully at a meeting. Uh, I think it was in October, November. She says, it's a national problem that is seeking, you know, local solutions. The city of Wheeling is never going to have the amount of resources needed to solve this problem. The yeah. city of Wheeling does have a ton of abandoned buildings that they could be using, but after the ARPA money and the Amer you know the American Rescue Plan after COVID, that money's gone. So for the next ten years, the city of Wheeling is really going to be financially constrained. It's going to be the bare necessities. They're going to be less likely to give money to things like the Life Hub that are going to help homelessness. So That's a good point. If you want to reach out and solve the problem, state legislators and federal legislators have to direct funds to deal with this issue. The Biden administration has made it a top priority to end homelessness. I think it's like reduce it by 85% by whatever year. Um, 
I don't know necessarily how well that pro pro program is going, but you know, reach like we need our House of Representatives, our our National Senate, our state delegates, our state Senate getting resources, especially as West Virginia is looking at over a billion dollars in funding from the opioid settlement. A lot of people on the streets are you know, either active users or previous users, not everybody, but a decent amount. It would be nice to see some of that funding, these billions of dollars, uh, over a billion dollars, going towards issues related to homelessness. Because what it looks like right now is that some of that funding or maybe a good chunk of it is going to go to law enforcement. So just putting that out there, it's a national problem. We're seeing it nationwide. The Supreme Court's going to rule on a case that may alter kind of the current standing of homelessness, which is right now, if there's not enough beds, you're not supposed to be conducting demolitions. Uh, but the Supreme Court is taking up a case. I think it's out of the Eighth Circuit. Um, to kind of revisit that issue. But, you know, it's a national problem. It's looking for local municipalities to solve it. They're never, ever, ever, ever going to have enough money or resources to solve it. So I think that's important that you put that. I appreciate you letting me <laughs> kind of stick that in there too. Yeah, but yeah, this has been awesome. It's been really amazing to meet you and, and speak with you. And thank you for the work that you and, uh, and the project at Podlatcha and Cali, you guys do on this front. It's uh, really amazing. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I uh, appreciate the kind words and just thank you for sharing your thoughts today. This has been extremely informative and helpful. And I know that our listeners will like it too. From the mountains and the farmlands, around the smokestack she has grown. This ain't just another paper town. It's the one that I call home. Airbnb. So, Continuing on this theme of housing, let's talk about Airbnb. Look, I, they was I was an Airbnb. I, I used them many times. Yeah, because like uh, it used to be that they were really a better option than than hotels because like it was you know more personalized experience. You could have more space. That kind of thing was cheaper. Now that's mm -hmm. like not the case. Yeah, and uh, I saw this come up. And this is sort of about Appalachian away because there's so many Airbnbs and the more touristy places like Asheville and Pigeon Forge and mm -hmm. Gatlinburg. Uh, God knows where else. Cherokee. You know. There you go. Yeah, Cherokee. Yeah. All those places. Um, North Georgia. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not saying that like rental properties are inherently bad, but they are a problem with the volume at which they proliferated. Yes. And so Airbnb revealed that they are forming a new panel to address housing affordability crisis. Hmm. Which, um, boy, I don't think you need a panel to figure out who contributed to that problem. Yeah. I, you know, it's to me, <laughs> it's like, we all know it's the guy who um, is the hot dog in in that. Yes. Yeah. The but hot dog meme. <laughs> yes. The one where he's like, I, we're all trying to figure out who who did this. It's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know how they can do this without getting damning implications on their own company. To me, it's either going to have to act like the cigarette lobby did during the 90s and just like 
fabricate results that are favorable to them. (laughs) Gaslight America. Right. Or they're going to have to really grapple with the damage that they have done. So I don't I really don't know what they can what they could have possibly gained by this. It feels like a bad decision. (laughs) I think that it is a a poorly thought out PR move, in my opinion, because, look, they all know the, the corporate brass there. It's a it's a huge company. They know exactly what's going on. Like they know that they're contributing to a problem and they've been able to get away with it. Tech companies in general have been able to get away with a lot of stuff because they, they enjoyed this perception in the public for a long time that it was the cool companies like Mm -hmm. the people like Netflix and, and uh, uh, Instagram and Twitter and, and well, hardly Twitter and Facebook there for a little bit before 2016. Like they all enjoyed this like, Oh, Ooh, cool shiny objects and then people started looking at them like oh shit uh and now that the the focus is on these companies especially because they're based in like san francisco and that's Mm -hmm. ground zero for affordability crises i think they did this as a pr move the thing is like their mere existence is part of the problem and i don't think that they would even be willing to consider many guardrails to to like figure this out and for context, figured this out. That was that was so stupid. Um, uh, for context, just like if you think about the amount of properties that were purchased by investors and rented out, like Airbnbs and some of these larger mm-hmm. cities. Like I think Atlanta, one year it was like maybe two thousand one, two thousand two, or no, excuse me, two twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two. There was like forty percent of single family homes were purchased by investors and turned into rentals. Yeah, not all those That's- Airbnbs, but you know what I mean. Sure. Yeah, yeah, but but that's who started the model. I you know, if it is a PR move, which I I I agree, it just feels like the most short-sighted PR move of all time because there's no way that the results come back from this panel. I mean, what are their solutions going to to entail other than making the market more hostile to them? So, I don't know if there's any like this panel may come up with recommendations, but I feel like Airbnb, in the end, they're going to behave like companies behave. Yeah, because it would be against their interest to do otherwise, right? Yeah. And, and their whole argument, so this is actually, is really interesting because I feel like it, it is a similar argument that like leadership in Nashville, Tennessee pushed forth for quite a while, which is like, we contribute to tourism and economic activity economic activity we're we're supporting the city with economic activity and like that's true i mean the proliferation of airbnbs in nashville for example and pigeon forge not that pigeon forge needed any help with getting tourists uh or nashville for that matter i mean it definitely boosted that but the thing that they fail to realize is that the the hosts that's not a right word um the people that live in those communities are the ones that suffer yeah like you're maybe helping you know the the city to bring in more money but it's at the extreme detriment of people that live there because they're yeah. being priced out of these communities and and they're 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 not able to buy homes. Yeah, I, it's it, not even in some situations, not even home ownership. Like we're talking about, it's harder for people to get apartments too. That's like, true. Yeah. That's that's the situation in Asheville right now is that it's a mountain town. There is nowhere else to build. (laughs) Um, Like you can't, you can only 
build so high up on the mountain. Otherwise, you just tear it down. And yeah, so, and you wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> right. Um, and so all of these, like, cheap, quick, um, I've heard them referred to as, like, stick brick co- apartment complexes. Oh, God, yeah. You know exactly what they look like because they look like they are all the exact same. They're nice on the inside and they're new, but they're not long lasting. And in 30 years, they're going to be like prob end up being problems for the town. And I I think that with these housing issues that have happened since 2020, so little thought has gone into how we are developing right now how we're developing towns especially towns and mountains that i think the long-term effects of them are going to like you said they're harming the community now but i think long term it's only going to get worse yeah it's uh it's it's a real shame and it's just there's so many factors that go into this it's not just as simple as like oh now there's more places for people to stay and they can experience a city in a different way it's just it's a huge problem. It's and like yeah. the housing prices alone. I just I won't even get into it. It's just oy vey. Good Stay luck finding in hotels. It. <laughs> Support know, the man. hospitality industry. Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> I like that makes me feel oh too because like all oh, those are all just massive corporations. Like totally. how many? Yeah. How many yeah. between like Hilton and Marriott? Like, and do they even own each other? They don't own each other. Between those two, they own like probably half or over half yeah. of all the hotels in America. Yeah. God, it's depressing. Well, we live in a hellscape. We do, but we live in it together with you. Aww. You, the listener. So, thank you for being on this journey through the hellscape with us. Uh, we're going to get through it together. This this year is going to be tough, but we're going to make it, folks. We're going to do it. We'll talk to you all next week. The views expressed on this show are solely the views of Chuck Cora and Callie Pruitt and will never represent the views of either of their employers. They just never will. These are just opinions that we express on this show and nothing more. 